Welcome, everybody. I'm Mark Peter Davis, Managing Partner of Interplay. I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs advance society, and this podcast is part of that effort. Today, we've got uh, our normal partner meeting. We're going to have a couple of conversations with partners, but we have a special guest, an internal guest, my partner in crime, CEO of Chelsea Capital, Kate Kelly. Now, there are five companies at Interplay where we have co-founded the companies in partnership with a CEO. And we work with them closely. And so they're really our partners, even though they don't have the title of partner to play. And we, you know, we care about what they're doing. We're involved in the businesses and we're really supportive. But we um, we had this moment internally. We were talking about how this is getting into tax season. It's a crazy time for the folks over at Chelsea Capital. They do accounting tax and CFO work. And we thought it would be worthwhile to have her on to shed some light on how to think about taxes for all the entrepreneurs out there, because the reality is there's a bunch of hacks and tricks that no, pe- most people just don't know, and it's not rocket science. And I think the perspective is super helpful. So uh, without further ado, we're going to jump into this week's session and uh, look forward to introducing you to Kate Kelly of Ch- Chelsea Capital. It's tax season. And none of the startups, business people, or anyone else wants to deal with it, but you need to. Uh, we thought it'd be appropriate to bring Kate Kelly, uh, my partner and CEO of Chelsea Capital on. Uh, Chelsea Capital is an accounting tax and CFO firm working with tons of early stage companies to give us some basic tips to make it less stressful for entrepreneurs. So Kate. Uh, first, do you want to give everyone a little background on Chelsea, just so they know who you are and what you're doing? Sure thing. Uh, so founded Chelsea Capital with the mission of taking all things off of founders' plates that tend to be stress-invoking and often neglected, those things being accounting and tax, for sure, and also fractional CFO services. Very cool. Okay, tis tax season. What's the basic headline? We'll drill down a little bit. What does everyone need to know about taxes? Sure thing. Uh, So it is tax time, and you mentioned a big word that comes off pretty often, uh, and that's stress. So my number one thing with taxes is don't freak out. Take a couple of deep breaths. I know the IRS can sound daunting and terrifying, but you've got plenty of time to do this right the first time so it won't come back later on. Okay, but there's a deadline, right? When's the corporate deadline? And Absolutely. There's a couple of different dates floating. Yeah, so the big ones are going to be March 15th and April 15th. However, there's a thing called extensions, which I highly recommend that everyone take advantage of. There's no downside. It gives you plenty of time to get yourself in order, clean up your books, and then you're talking September and October deadlines. Okay, so what's the March 15th? What's the April 15th? And how do those correlate to the September and October? Yeah, so your March 15th deadline, that's going to be for S-Corps and partnerships. And then your April deadline, which will be April 18th this year, that's going to be for your C-Corps. If you file those extensions, that pushes those dates out to the fall, which will be your September and October deadlines. Right, because there's all these dependencies in taxes, right? You got to get your tax document from other people you do business with. So that you can file your taxes. And if they're late, you're host. Exactly. Especially as a business owner. When you're talking like W-2 employees, your employer is going to get you that W-2 in early January. And you've got plenty of time till April to file. 
you're a business owner or if you're invested in other companies, waiting for those K-1s, like I said, can take a long time. You're also going to have to close your books, uh, which can sometimes take till January and February. And then by the time you're turning around to a March deadline, that can come up pretty quick. Okay, let's talk extensions, because as unexciting as this might seem to a lot of people, this is one of the biggest aha moments for me as an entrepreneur. Your whole life through school, you know, junior high, high school, all this, you can't churn a paper in late. Like, that's the one thing you can't do. You can kind of shit the bed on the paper. <laughs> you can kind of make a bad paper, but you can't churn it in late, right? That's no-no. You get an F. But taxes, you can turn in late and there's no penalty. Explain. If you file that extension, there really isn't a downside. There's no, you know, consequence for taking that tons of extra time to get things done right. Uh, if you want to take your, your paper analogy, it, it just buys you so much extra time um, that you really should take advantage of. When this kind of clicked, I, so all of my tax stuff goes in in the October deadline now, mm -hmm. right? I, I, the April 15th now is just a administrative, like a little bit of paperwork gets signed, but my taxes are done in the fall, which yeah. is a big mental shift because it gives all the other things that I'm involved with time to report. If they're late, I still get stuff in and then it gets done. So what's, when I heard that, I thought it was too good to be true. What is the actual downside to filing an extension? Why is everyone not filing an extension? So I think it goes right back to your your paper analogy. Nobody wants to hand in their taxes late, even though there is no penalty about it. It's still that anxiety of, hey, this is the deadline. I'm going to miss it. And the IRS is going to come and, you know, take my house and children away. That is not going to happen. So you've got that time. And I think it's really just people want to cross that that box off their to-do list of taxes are done. So now I can breathe. It is way better to take that extension time to get it done correctly, then sprint through it and have to file an amended return. An amended return is going to get looked over by a human being, not a computer, and far more likely to get audited. Right. And it costs you more money because people have to do a bunch of extra Exactly. Work. So headline for me is I always do extensions. Why would anyone not do an extension? I guess it's just if you have everything up front and it's super easy, but if you have any complexity, extension. I totally agree with you. And even for the simplest returns at Chelsea Capital, we file extensions for everyone with even if we know we're going to get them done plenty of time before the deadline, everybody gets an extension. Again, there's no cost to it. There's no penalty. So you might as well do it even if you don't use it. Yeah. And just six months is way extra months is way more chill. Yeah. And even if it's just end of April, early May, it just gives you that breathing time to take the opportunity to review your return. Things as little as an address change you might catch. And if you rush through it, you might not. And then you're filing an amended return. Got it. Very annoying. Okay. So that's the high level. What should everyone be thinking about? Like, what are the best practices for people when they're dealing with tax? Founding team, maybe they're scrappy. No one's ever done this for business before. I know they're going to go to their tax people and their tax people are going to tell most of the stuff they need to know. What are the kind of the tricks of the, tr tricks of the trade outside the extension that people should be aware of? Yeah. I mean, uh, so it starts out with having clean books. Uh, so a lot of times people will jump to the tax portion of it where really the data that's fed into that is going to be from your accounting system. So you want to make sure that all of your books are closed, everything's buttoned up, and then that makes your tax accountant's job so much easier. 
And you can't do one before the other. Okay. If it's a solo practitioner, one person shop, is an Excel sheet with the money they made and the expenses they had enough? That could be enough. If you've got really low transaction volume, you can get away with that. We typically put clients on QuickBooks or some other accounting software, it makes things a lot easier. If you're an accrual-based company, you definitely want to go with something like that. We're actively uh, taking on a lot of clients that we're doing that cleanup work for them now. So pretty much taking an entire year worth of transactions, cleaning that up into a, a QuickBooks similar software or QuickBooks itself, and, uh, and having that reporting available. So that could be something you do on a yearly basis where right now you do the cleanup for the year. Other transaction volume heavy companies are going to want to be doing that monthly just because it's a lot of load and it's really difficult to remember a transaction that you maybe did a year ago that yeah. an accountant has a, has a question about. You can't remember how to classify anything. Nope, not happening. Um, I remember uh, one of my early lessons as an entrepreneur was you do your proper bookkeeping and accounting early in the business. Because the year two, three cleanup is far more expensive because it's all this guesswork, it's all this noise than just keeping the book straight from the beginning. You know, you'll see first time founders go out and they have to, it's just not here nor there. They're just, they think it's not a priority and it's not the number one priority. But if you can do it, you do. The pros, serial founders, they start their accounting on day one. And that's, that's something we see very often. And I get it. Uh, a lot of these entrepreneurs did not start their businesses for their love of accounting and tax filings. <laughs> that's right. not what they're in this business to do. Um, and exactly where we kind of got our start was, I want founders to be able to focus on growth and scaling and fundraising and have the peace of mind behind their accounting and finance function. Um, everyone agrees that it's a really important, but oftentimes it can just trickle down to that bottom of the to-do list. And for good reason, you're hiring people, you've, you're growing a company, you're doing a lot more things that tend to take priority in the moment. But when it comes to this time of year, it can kind of be daunting and a little terrifying because you haven't done the proper workload all year long. Okay. So someone's got their book straight. They hired an accounting firm. You know, they're getting their monthly reports. They show up. End of the year comes and they've got clean books. What else do they need to do? Gosh, that makes our life so much easier. <laughs> but if that's not the case, probably we can certainly help with, with cleanup. Um, yeah. it's, it's not as daunting when we do it every day. So we can certainly help with, hey, I haven't touched my books all year round. We can handle it. Get you off to a clean start and then you can maintain those books throughout the year. Okay. Um, so once they have clean books, that goes right to our accounting team or sorry, our tax team. Uh, they take a look. We collect all of the documentation that we need usually financial statements, some payroll documentation. Um, we do a first pass where we'll do a draft return. And then we're going to ask any additional questions that we have, uh, any complexities that we want to address, get that final return to you, you review, and then we have that scheduled uh, for, for filing date. Right. But this is a foreign language, right? You're a business person. You know, your, your accountant tax person comes and says, here's a draft return. It's 800 pages long. The forms are terrible. Oh, they're the worst. <laughs> yeah, it's they're like sign here. You don't know what the hell you're looking yeah. at. Yeah. So what what uh, should a CEO, a founder know to look for? What are the things that they need to know to kind of move this process forward? Assuming they're hiring a professional. Absolutely. And before we do any filings, we try to break down that uh, complexity of those monster returns to really high level. Of here's the amount of income that you took in. Here's the tax reductions we were able to find. Uh, here's the ultimate amount that, that is due. 
um, we go through the state nexus analysis. So you don't really have to sift through that return and ask. You don't know the questions to ask a lot of the time. Yeah. What are those questions? So first of all, what's the state nexus? You dropped that one. Yeah. State nexus. This is a big thing for a lot of companies. Often add a lot of complexity, especially for SaaS companies. So a state nexus is essentially whether a state is expecting a return from you. So you might think, hey, I only do business in New York City. I'm going to file in New York and that's it. Not necessarily as cut and dry. And every state has different rules, which makes it particularly complicated. Um, So some are based on payroll. So if you have employees in other states, you might have to file. Others are based on like where that income was sourced. So again, if you're a SaaS company, you know, selling that all over the country, some states might be expecting a return because you had a client in Nebraska or somewhere. Probably applies to e-commerce too, right? Mm -hmm, Exactly. You, You ship to Wyoming. Yes. Whatever. And again, every state is different. So I highly recommend those businesses take advantage of using a tax professional that can do that analysis. And then you make sure that you're filing those state returns that are necessary. Right. And there's some hacks to that, right? A good tax accountant can figure out which system to count you on to minimize taxes overall. They do this all year round. So right. they know the states uh, that, you know, what are expecting. They've got it all broken down. They do this every day. So for them, it's not complicated. For the regular person trying to figure out if you have state nexus, that can be a big deal for you to take on by yourself. And this also applies to sales tax as well. So that could be another element that can get kind of tricky. Okay. Return comes. It's draft return. We got nexus. What, what else should I be asking about to kick the tires on? Yeah. Another big one is R&D tax credits for startups. That's a really probably the most popular tax credit. Uh, that we see getting taken advantage of. And I highly recommend getting uh, looking into that as well. So this is a credit on your return for any R&D related expenses. And that credit can be directly applied to payroll taxes. So if you have software developers, for example, on your team that you're paying a salary, that can be count, counted towards those R&D expenses. And you would get a credit that would be applied to your future payroll taxes. Huh. So this is like government incentive for innovation. This is the big one. Yeah. And it can really add up. So we've seen R&D tax credits in the, you know, 100,000 range. Um, so absolutely worth looking into, even if you're small. Um, a lot of R&D tax credit shops will take a small fee. They'll do the heavy lifting for you, which I won't get into that. But um, yeah, it's pretty simple as a founder to take advantage of uh, and really should be checked out. And the other things to kick the tires on that we should be asking about? Are you just sign on the dotted line after that and move on? <laughs> uh, I would definitely take a peek at it. We uh, take a handhold approach where we, if you want to schedule time with us to go over the nitty gritty of your return, we can tell you all of the credits that we've looked at uh, and taken advantage of. Really break that down to, to be as simple as possible. So your review is actually done w- alongside us. I got one more for you. Um, I'm beginning spammed by a lot of inbound marketer email marketers. Oh yes, let me guess. Yeah, the ERC something. So close. What is it? It's the employee retention tax credit. Okay, yeah. What is that? And is it a real thing? And should I respond to those emails? It is a real thing, but it's gotten really spammy. So this came about during COVID. This followed the PPP funding, um, and this was in to incentivize people to retain their employees and reduce the number of layoffs. So the government wanted to keep people working, right? 
Um, so if you experienced hardship as a business during those years and saw a decline in revenue and kept your employees on staff, there was a credit that you can apply for. So right now, uh, the, there's still time to look into that. So if you did have, a, there's criteria, but a significant decrease in revenue during that time, you can apply for this credit. It's pretty simple to apply for, but there are a lot of spammy companies out there that are taking huge chunks of whatever they can find as their fee. Uh. And a lot of founders are like, great, this is money I didn't have. I'm happy to pay a 50% fee. But you could also hire someone else to do it for a flat fixed cost. That would be much, much less. Isn't this just in scope for a standard tax accountant? Do you need these outside firms or is the ERC just something that should be part of your tax filing? So it's not really part of your federal and state tax filings. Um, it's a separate program, similar like if you went through the PPP process, that had nothing right. to do with your income tax. Right. Um, so it is something that would be done additionally. A lot of accountants are just going to be focused on that state and federal filing, so won't necessarily dabble in this. And it does take a little bit of analysis to do got to run some payroll reports. You've got to look at your revenue to make sure you hit all the criteria. Um, so it really is a separate credit. So I should res federal. respond to those spam emails and say, yes, please. <laughs> or is there, you know, how do you do this? Yeah. So it's pretty simple to do a back of the envelope analysis to see like, hey, am I even close? Um, you would have to show at least a 20% uh, decline in revenue quarter over quarter. Um, if you were, you know, upward trajectory all through COVID, then it's not even worth uh, taking a look at. Got it. But you could do, you know, a kind of spitball analysis to see if you're in the ballpark. And then you could either talk to your tax advisor to look into it further or find a service provider to do it for you. But I would be on the lookout for what those fees are going to cost you. Okay. But I'm just trying to get one piece. Like, I feel like you get a certain number of good advisors in your business orbit. Mm-hmm. And the specialists who come out of the woodwork, you you know, are sometimes they're selling snake oil that your your generalist does. Is this the kind of thing that most business tax advisors should be advising on? Should the average company out there assume that their tax professional is going to say, hey, check this out. We can help you with it or no. I wouldn't assume that that your tax professional is going to guarantee look into this credit. Um, it's like I said, it's outside of the traditional scope of your right. tax accountant. That's going to be focused on state and federal. Um, so I would either bring it up to your tax professional directly and say, you want this analysis done, um, and, and really take ownership of it because yes, there's a lot of spammy companies out there. They're going to be trying to push this. Um, but I think it really starts with the founders that it's worth taking a quick peek or at least having your outsourced, uh, financial advisor take a look for you. If people are looking for um, a solution for this, who should they contact? Uh, you can talk to whoever's doing your tax filings. Um, and then there's, I would just do a quick search of like the, the best firms that are doing this. There's a lot of spammy ones. So you're going to have to do some digging, but I would start with the people that you trust. Uh, they'll be able to do that back of the envelope ad, uh, analysis for you and at least give you the green light of whether it's worth looking into or not. Cool. Thank you, Kate. From Chelsea Capital. Appreciate you. My pleasure. Thanks for hanging out with me. <laughs> cool. What's up, man? Welcome, Mike. <laughs> You're tired. Yeah, you know what? I, I had a little bit of a grinder weekend, just doing uh -oh. too much stuff. Too much stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like uh, house chores. 
No, I actually had real work. And then I called you on Friday and you said that you were going to do something that night. Yeah. No, I'm not saying I didn't have a life. Oh, okay, cool. And then like, you know, I just Monday came around and yeah, then you were, and it was too late. It's too late, but, I'm well, good. but what, I like working. So whatever. What'd you watch this weekend? What's on your content agenda list right now? Um, what kind of content? We're we talking news or entertainment or what's going on? I want to do it all. Let's start with, let's start fun, like entertainment. Like what are you watching that you think is like good? Okay. I mean, there's a theme for me, mm. the content I like, and I, I had this realization the other day, it's super nerdy. Uh, the base levels around how humans organize and societies function. Okay. And so my entertainment content right now is The Handmaid Tale, which is totally dystopian social reorganization. Right. Uh, the book I just crushed was Dalio's second book, Rise and Fall of Empires. And those are the two entertainment bits that I'm working through right now. What about you? That's a cool thread. But you mentioned you don't really love Last of Us, which is also a dystopian reorganization, but maybe they just haven't gotten to reorganizing yet, which is like- you Yeah, like you know, the reason why is because it's more about a couple of characters and setting versus I get, like when I'm watching um, The Handmaid's Tale and I'm like, oh, and here's another implication of what they would have done. For example, I'm, I'm early. I'm in season three, and I think mm -hmm. like season six is out. You have a moment where they arrive in D.C., and the statue of Abraham Lincoln's been destroyed. Right. And you're so like— you, It's your Planet of the Apes moment where you see the, the— All of those little— To me, what's fascinating about the show yeah. is discovering the different implications of this parallel multiverse. Yeah, okay. I it's, got you. Right. The, with The Last of Us, which I'm watching— when another zombie comes out and they kill it, like I'm just not the I, I, action's cool, but it's not the main thing for me. Right. Okay. Cool. I mean, there's there's some compare there with the other moving through cities and and I also watched too many episodes or seasons of The Walking Dead. I think I did like eight or ten. Ah, uh, you're over zombied. And I think I, I think it ruined it for me. Okay. What about you? What are you watching? I'm watching Last of Us. Uh, excited for the final season of Succession. Yeah. Um, which will be cool. I like that it's the final season. Yeah, they nailed it with that. They nailed it because they if they go one more after this, they're gonna blow it. Season five, six was gonna be shitty. They would have oh. made more money. Yeah, but HBO's got cred, right? Like HBO put something out, and I'm like, it's gonna be good. Cousin Greg's gonna get his own show. Yeah, that, that makes sense yeah. to me. Yeah, has he been in anything else? I don't know. Like we gotta we gotta scout on him a little bit. Yeah, someone should figure that out. Yeah, but anyway, content more generally. Like you 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 mentioned, you like this dystopian stuff. What like do you is that does that thread run through to podcasts? Yeah, it's not dystopian. It's I, uh, I, I had this realization. That's one that's one, one manifestation. aspect of it, yeah. It's one like manifestation of it. I'm really into how humans organize. And so cool. I, I know that's weird. And I but I literally wrote down the other day, I was like, this would be my thing. And it's a little bit psychology, right? Like how the different types of personalities that are out there with humans and how those fit together as puzzle pieces. Interesting. Right. Uh, I love history and it's seeing patterns and machinations. I'm into frameworks like Dalio's latest thing on the rise and fall of empires, mm. which is a framework for how things going up, up and down. So yeah, for um, podcast content that I'd consume, not for news per se, but kind of more casually, but intellectually, I like Sam Harris uh, waking up. Like if folks are Give us a quick on that. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Harris. It's a big, it's a major podcast. If you haven't heard it, you know, um, it's not some edge case thing. Um, he's got millions of subs. What does but he do? He talks about, thank you. <laughs> he talks about um, social issues. Okay. Uh, current social issues. What I think is novel about Sam 
and he's controversial, is he is violently rational. And that has made him, put him at odds with both the left and the right through a lot of the things he's talking about. Um, I'm sure not everyone agrees with everything he says, uh, but what's fascinating about it is the degree of the logic of the Boolean statements, if this and that, where it, it really takes you through a journey of thinking deeply about topics that you may not have thought deeply about, or you might just be reacting to the headlines and the brainwashing we're all getting, whereas Sam's going to kind of like go down to the base assumptions and build it back up and come out with a conclusion. Gotcha. And it doesn't sit, it doesn't align well with our, either party, which I quite like. Cool. What about you? Well, I, it, let me ask a question about that podcast because our producer Will and I were having this conversation before. I think it leads in nicely. Do you is the is the podcast conversational or is it just him spewing? It's conversational. He has lots of guests on. They're big names. It's Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's you name it. It's the who's who. Cool. But he's the best guest on the show. Got you. That's right. Cool. And he'll he'll stop and drop knowledge and wisdom and perspective. And you know, it's it's rare that the Host is the art. They're usually the frame mm-hmm. in the picture. Uh, in this case, I think Sam is like a big part of the art. That's super cool. We were talking about, and just, try, you know, I've been thinking a lot about like what makes a good podcast and like, you know, we're on one right now, but more like just for my own, like what have I enjoyed? And I've like, I've run through lots of different ones now, had a hard time finding some I like, some I don't like. I think there's a thread that is like, you know, as a VC, I see patterns. So I'm starting to like, pattern match on podcasts of what I think works really well for me, but also like clearly it's just become more popular. And I think the idea with podcasts for most people, I think the content matters, but I think most people are listening to podcasts now to feel like they're in the conversation with the podcast hosts. I think it's interesting that you mentioned the host as your favorite person. Cause it, I feel like when, when you put on like, look at like the all in, which is one that I'm sure everyone listening to this also knows. Yeah. Terrific. What's great about that podcast, forget the content. The content's good. I think people like feeling like they're hanging out with those guys. They're in the room with them as part of the conversation, even though they're not, right? That's as close as they can get. Look at Smartless, which is probably one of the top five podcasts in the world right now. I don't know where it ranks, but I mean, I don't know if everyone's listening to it to listen to the guests, to your point. They're there because the hosts are awesome, fun guys. And when they put their ears in and they're listening to them, they smile and they feel like they're part of that conversation. But I think these all harken back to content formats that existed before podcasting was a thing. I think it's just a new medium. That's talk radio. Talk radio. Right? Uh, The older format we we do less often now, but we used to do is kind of like the deep interview, you know, uh, outside of all the scandal stuff, but it's like a Charlie Rose format. You're doing like a deep dive. 60 minutes. 60 minutes. Yeah. Right? You're trying to really understand something. Um, There's other formats. And I think this format we've been doing has kind of been a little bit more, the partner meeting has been a little bit more like the Daily Show. And I used to love the Daily Show when Jack yeah. Stewart was on it, right? Where you'd have different people come in and drop some knowledge, bite size. Now, theirs was, theirs was obviously comedy. This is not so funny, unfortunately. It could be funny. Yeah, I just, we're just, I'm just not a funny person. No, not at six o'clock. Not, <laughs> not on any day, unfortunately. Um, but it's, uh, you know, there's a format, there, there's format parallels. It's just moving to this medium. Yeah. I don't think anything's being reinvented, right? Like you could argue the all in format is pretty similar to the view, the TV show, obviously different content, different demo, all of that, but it's a conversational underhand pitch question. 
two specific people and they have a dialogue and there's a relationship dynamic between everybody. Yep. And a debate. Yeah. And a debate. And it's yeah. great. But I, I, I don't think um, there's a lot of novel concepts coming out. Now, the one thing that's different, I guess maybe this is not that different, actually. It probably nothing's that different. Yeah. It's probably like the podcast version of an audiobook mm-hmm. is the history stuff I nerd out on. Right. Right. Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. There's Martyr Made. There's a handful of podcasts out there. These are extremely long form monologues, right? 20 hours plus per topic. And it's fucking awesome. It's told like a story, a narrative. And yeah. I think the reason why, it, why I love it, it's not, it's not facts and dates history. That's just super boring to me. It's concepts. It's what happened when the Roman Empire fell. What happened to the Catholic Church? How did that yeah. position them? Uh, these are audiobooks. They're basically, it's an audiobook. That's yeah. what it is. These I, I personally have a hard time with these because for me, the podcast, again, speaking personally, of course, yeah. the, I have a hard time with audiobooks. I get distracted. I pick my phone up. I, for, I, I'm not listening to the last five minutes. I'm like, oh shit, I got to go back. With a podcast where it's three knuckleheads either having a smart conversation or a dumb conversation, if you miss five minutes, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, like you can't do that with all the history yeah, stuff. It's like when your friends are chatting and you zone out for five minutes, you go to the bathroom, you come back in, you're just in the conversation. You don't go, hold on, guys, rewind 30 seconds. I want to hear what you said while I was taking a leak. It's not how right. it works. Yeah, but I, I'm an introvert. Right. Right. I think extroverts want more conversation in their life. Right. Like I'm never turning on the chatter to hear more people talk. Have to I want talk. to shut off and like watch TV. Yeah. Right. I bet you all the extroverts are like, fuck, I got no one to talk to. Let me listen to people talk. Interesting. That's a cool poll I'd love to put out. I'd love to know. And maybe we throw this up on the, on the Twitter and just ask a quick poll. Extroverts versus introverts. What do you like to do on podcasts? I'd I be bet you there's some it. correlation. Yeah. That's, that's the a talk radio thing. About. Like that always drove me nuts. Like you're, you know, you're, people you're in a taxi and it's like 8 a.m. I don't want to hear other people talk. Yeah. I don't give a shit what they're talking about. Yeah, I want to learn. For me, I need to learn something. Yeah. Or uh, be entertained. Right. It's right. one of the two. And it's like nowhere in between. Okay. What other, what other forms of content? So you got, we got, you know, we went through the kind of like pure media stuff and uh, Netflix, HBO. Where do you get your news? What are you doing for news? News. Man, news is a tough one. That's a conversation that might get us censored, you know, if we have too deep of a talk right now. Yeah, we don't have to just we can keep it apolitical. Yeah. I mean, there's two different types of news. I have like, you know, relevant business use for that. It's, there's a plethora of, of good newsletters and really good content aggregators. So I think you're doing a good job of like aggregating deal announcements and talking yeah, about you're market VC. Get some shout outs. Who, who you, yeah. uh, I don't want to give me shout outs. I don't have anything top of mind right now that I think is worth shouting out, but like, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of good stuff out there. I don't think anyone's doing like an amazing job. Um, and then, you know, world stuff. I, I'd like the answer from you. I don't have a good answer. I, I think I have two really good sources for, there's no such thing, but fairly unbiased global content in one newsletter and domestic content in another. Okay. Right? Sure. And Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I've been through a lot of the popular newsletters, which certainly have a bias and they have more of a humor built in. But I found two medium dry, to the fucking point, no bullshit. Mm-hmm. So one is a new one called 1440. And I don't think most people have heard of it yet. It's 1440 because that was the year the printing press was made. Mm. And their objective is to write completely unbiased news. That's what they're trying to do. Is that possible? No, but they'll take a headline that's in liberal and Republican uh, outlets 
and they'll strip away all the positioning and they'll say, Trump announced candidacy. Right. And it's just a fact. You take all like the adjectives and verbs. The adjectives <laughs> or who, you know, a big thing is yeah. like who did what to whom. That position's good and bad. It's subtly. Totally. They take all the protagonist antagonist, and it's just the facts. It was this date. So-and-so said this. Da, 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 and that's it. This is amazing if you read headlines. Every single headline has a tilt from oh. the major publications. And it's actually it's, hilarious. If you, if, you, if you look at it and laugh, it's hilarious. It's so subtle. I don't think most people... No, no, no. And I think most, most of the time for everybody, you don't even catch it unless you stop and say, wait, look at how they wrote you know, the headline, yeah. This is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Depending on what side someone's on, they always it's whoever starts the sentence is the bad guy. This group did this did to the this other. Person. Yeah, it's like it's, it's that's it, and right. that's the formula. And you're trained. Think about it. You're trained from childhood to think that way. It's like like go back to like elementary school. Like Billy did this to Joe. That's it. And I said that to you by the way. You think Billy did something bad to Joe? Billy's right? an asshole. No, what do you mean? Billy might have given him a cookie. Billy was a great kid. That's a point, though. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they're, they're, they're prying on our, our instincts, right? They totally. know that when you, when you phrase something that way in the English language, you are assuming like malicious intent um, and your brain goes there. You don't even have to. It doesn't matter what the article says. Yeah. I got one more shout. So uh, 1440 does mainly U.S. news. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I think maybe they don't need to because we're a huge country, but I think more Americans should be paying attention to the rest of the world. Totally. The rest of the world is paying attention to everything else except yeah. for us. Um, Ian Bremmer's Signal newsletter oh, I think I've is read the jam. Cool. And it will, you know, the U.S. is maybe a quarter of the news, but it'll try to explain the dynamic in Turkey. And it tries to give context around the issues. And it feels there's no unbiased because there's certainly perspective, but even for the way it covers the U.S. media, it's talking about implications and so-and-so did this and this might mean this. and it's just a lot more strategic and intelligent on international news. So those are the two pieces that I look forward to opening in the morning. I always wake up every morning at seven in bed while my body's waking up. I read the news. You letters. let your burp, the blue light from your phone start triggering the dopamine in your brain. Get That's, you out of bed. Use it to your advantage, bro. Yeah, no, I, I, I do the same way. I hack. Yeah. And then at night I put my phone away. I can't look at it. Yeah. And like I work out at 730. So I need, I need a lot of blue light. What's a workout mean for you? Like you, oh like my you God. walk downstairs, walk back upstairs. God, I'm old, but I'm not that old. No, I do like, uh, I do, I'm old and at old. You're not that old. But at old, you- it, I don't even think you're old. Okay, but even you're 40-ing. All my friends in their 40s, it's, I was laughing the other night. Dinner conversation always includes at least 30 minutes about body maintenance. Mm. No matter who I'm with, they're like, okay, what are you doing for exercise at this point? What are you eating? Are you still drinking? Right. And I saw Dude. this great Ford. Uh, alcohol has become the new tobacco. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Weed has become the new, or I can't remember what it was. <laughs> really, I have to cut that part. But <laughs> alcohol's no, out. Weed's no, in. Alcohol. No, it was mushrooms were the new weed. Right. It, it had all shifted, and oh, alcohol gotcha. was the new tobacco. Yeah. And weed was the new, or al weed was the new alcohol. I wonder when sugar will fall. Yeah, I don't know. But when you think about that parallel, it makes total sense. Yeah. Mushrooms now the illicit thing that a lot of people are experimenting with. Yeah, the, hi the crazy hippies are doing. Right. Yeah. And then the legal part, the legal but edge yeah, case yeah. is the weed. And now everyone's talking about how bad alcohol is for you, like it's a cigarette. Shout out to Monument, our uh, most recent investment. Totally. Right in that trend. Yeah. Driving that trend. Driving the trend. Absolutely. Yeah.
Uh, but anyway, yeah, no. Uh, so working out for me is 10 to 15 minutes of stretching. No, I don't actually care. You don't fucking care? No. Question for you on the working out thing, though. Do you think yeah. that cycles out at like 50 and you guys stop talking about that stuff? Or do you I think don't you know. Going? It's new territory. Interesting. But it's, I was, we were talking about how it's a perma conversation for all the 40-year-olds. It's the weather for you now. Yeah, everyone's like, what are you doing? Okay, uh, your back hurts. Okay, what are you doing for that? It, it's, it's on everyone's mind, like body maintenance, because it's just a problem. I literally was just talking to someone on our team. I was like, yo, when I read my phone, I don't do this anymore. Because yeah, yeah, head up. You got to put your elbows. Someone taught me the elbow technique. Oh, really? Elbows against the rib cage and hold your neck up. Neck up? Yeah, and, everyone's got the tech neck, man. And if you don't do that, but it, yeah, anyway. Um, so what were you talking about? Today That's was, it. Today was content? Yeah, I thought it was a good wrap on content. Like where do you get it? How do you trust it? All right, so tech. That's what's out there. What's what's the what's the path? Like, how does this get better? What 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 tech platform do you use to consume your your news? What do you want? News is phone, email, and phone. What do you read? It's e it's all in email. It's it's mostly email newsletters. Okay, I've and Twitter. I've shipped it to Google News app on the phone. Yeah, but that's just the Google algorithm feeding no. shit on the for you section. You can tag, hey, don't show me any more like this and train it. One. Mm -hmm. Two, second killer feature. I get my Washington Post article up, which may not be my desired news source, whatever, but the, the tagline, it's a headline they chose to give me. Yeah. I can, and I don't have a subscription there. I click other, all news coverage, all coverage, and I'll see it from every publication uh, on the exact same story. By the way, back to what we were talking about before about the brainwashing. Really great to see all the headlines next to each other. Interesting. So you've got the Fox, the CNN, the MSNBC, yeah, the Wild framing. and you can see the spin on this side, the spin on that side. It's so good. And it's so obvious when you line them all up. And they have a button for that under every article. Interesting. I've seen, I'd say over the years, five or six companies try to build this. And I think the you just answered it. It was just a feature. Just a feature. That like it, it wasn't a standalone app. Someone who was a classic aggregator like Google is going to build it, and and now it's here. I mean, Flipboard was a big a big venture company for a long time. Flipboard. That was a big thing. It was just an interface. Yeah. There's one called Blindspot that I get sometimes too. There's a bunch. There's a bunch out there that are doing a pretty good job. Blindspot actually shows you uh, headlines in a newsletter, and they report on which news outlets covered it or didn't even cover it. So there will be like shooting an xyz and it'll show you like it'll you know have like five blue to centrist to four or five red and it will literally show you like no one on the right covered it and all these ones on the left covered it but you already know that you, you know it's so but to your point on brainwashing framing, and yeah. scamming so and, framing the headlines next to each other it's interesting to see contextually right yeah. like oh well no i know who, on a headline which yeah. group is going to be promoting <laughs> it and which group is going to be silent i know that oh, what i like is when they cover it it helps you see through the bullshit a yeah. little bit to see the it's basically like a debate you see the five headlines next to each other and you're kind of getting a little debate and then you click on the one that looks the mo the least bias right which is none of the ones we know right and then you're like do i trust this source right <laughs> we're fucked we're fucked yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right later good session mike bye what's up chris so mark happy friday uh happy friday um those won't be released on a Friday, so that'll just confuse everyone listening. That's true. Um, <laughs> Take I, that out. <laughs> I really enjoy this segment. I wanted to share that with you because uh, thank you. People in the tech world don't. We don't really talk a lot of like politics and the economy. Really, it's too high level. 
in private markets. Mm. And this is kind of my excuse to get a download. I think if you're on Wall Street, you hear this stuff yeah. in the by the water cooler. We don't hear it. We're talking about, you know, tech companies big and small and founder needs. It's just more micro. So this is a yeah, a nice kind of refreshing perspective moment for me every week. Yeah, I honestly think I think people in the tech world uh in private markets should care more about macro markets. I know last week we spoke about how, you know, we should be taking a long-term approach um and, and not get dragged into the day-to-day. But macros definitely factor into uh the ultimate outcome for private investments as well. When you're thinking about exits and timing it and business cycles and, and how do you make business decisions when it comes to uh, 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 inflationary environment, and it, it is definitely relevant. So I'm glad that you're enjoying this. I hope it's add value to everyone else. All right, do you want to want to kick us off? What do you got this week? Yeah, let's let's start with earnings. We are about 95 percent wrapped up with uh, Q4 earnings, so it's about time that we 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 sort of take a more um, uh, aggregate approach and look at what what's happened overall. There is a, a good JP Morgan report that came out a couple of days ago. So I was just grab I grabbed a few stats from that and 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 let's let's use that as an angle to 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 dissect this. So overall, uh, very mixed bag, but maybe not as bad as we anticipated. Still very bad. So uh, what does that mean? About sixty four percent of the companies came, uh, that reported so far, remember ninety five percent has done. Uh, beat 4Q earnings estimates. Okay, so that sounds great on paper, but if you're looking at that, but you have to sort of adjust for uh, banks, uh, you know, analyst uh, biases in predicting those results in the first place. And we talk about this internally, that there is a inherent sort of bias towards uh, predicting better results. So, so you have to really look at it in conjunction of, uh, so sort of comparing it to the past four quarters. Past four quarters, on average, 70% of the company beat. Earnings, right? So this is a clear downshift from past four quarters. Same thing goes for top line revenue. Um, you know, says about sixty-seven percent of the company reported beat revenue. That's versus sixty-nine percent in the past four quarters. And what's even more interesting is if you take into account the magnitude of the surprises, right? So if you take a weighted average of all the reports, earnings surprises actually were on the downside. So we're we're, we're the, and we basically were downside surprise by 2.4% versus an upside surprise of 4.1% in the last four quarters. So just based on these two stats, you can tell that this is a uh, a shift in the direction, shift in the trend, shift in the graph, and uh, and likely this will continue into the next few quarters too. Right. So this is all misleading um, as on the yeah. on the surface when people hear the 64% or whatever. Because all these companies are sandbagging. Yeah. They're setting out targets that they're going to yeah. beat and they're working with their analysts to set those expectations. And then they beat them, Precisely. but they're beating them less than they usually do. So indexing against sandbagging, yep. the group is not doing as yep. well as it typically does. Got it. Yes. And the downside, the losers, right? The, the one that they've underperformed, the gap is larger now versus the upside beats. So that's what the second stat takes into account, the magnitude of these surprises. So, so overall, it has not been a good, good earnings season. 
And what's even more interesting is, is so they, you know, JP Morgan did a, a meta-analysis on the keywords, right? The most cited keywords in statements, in, in earning statements. And those are higher costs, shrinking demand, and macro environment. So, and on top yeah, of that, boy. I think, uh, you know, there's this very, very helpful graph that tracks sort of corporate sentiment on the cost of capital. And that has become very negative. Like we're, we're, we're at a point where it's near the levels last seen in the great financial crisis, right? So, at the, so cost of, cost of capital, shrinking demand is on everybody's mind. That's, that's, that's at this point, it's, it's, it's there as a fact. Um, what's, but, 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 how, but if you really look at S&P, you know, look at the public market overall, it's, it's pretty resilient. So that, that's to me a little worrisome. Um, it's just, it's to me, it's a signaling a bit of a sort of a kick in the can down the road and, and, and equity market when it, when it comes to, you know, sort of going down and reversing a trend, it tends to happen in gaps, right? So it doesn't just happen every day, 1% at a time. It just sort of tanks five, 6% at a time and continue to do so for a few sessions. And all of a sudden, before you know it, we're, we're at a negative 20% category. So I am little concerned about the dichotomy between earnings report and how the, the actual indices performed. And so I'll be very cautious if I've, I'm currently an investor in public markets. I'll be looking at protecting the downside for sure. Uh, let me ask you a question. When you hear that earnings report, what's the headline? Not, not the actual report. What's the implication for you? Are you like, all right, we're going into some bigger recession than people have expected? Or... This is the natural evolution of how the market's been evolving, and it's kind of not news. What's hmm. expected? What 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 do you take away from? Oh, that? it's not news to me. Uh, it's certainly not news to me. Um, uh, nor is it to any really uh, you know shrewd market participant. But it, what 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 is definitely signaling to me is uh, the job cutting, the 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 expense management. We're not we're nowhere near done. There, was, there should be way more adjustment than what's currently already baked into the market because people, every company is still trying to manage expense. Layoffs are, are going to come in more sectors than just tech. And uh, not just that, but also wage growth should slow down. Demand should slow down as a result of that, which will then translate into earnings in the next few quarters, maybe potentially into 2024. So this is not going to be a one-time thing. That's, that's clear to me. Um, how will the equity investors handle these news and digest it and reinvest capital is a separate story. That's, that's something we should, we, you know, there's no clear sign of how that will pan out yet. We should, we should definitely um, uh, keep a watch on that. All right. Got anything else? It's okay. If you um, yeah. So I've got a few things, but maybe I'll just quickly brush, uh, brush on these. So last week we talked about, corporate uh, defaults, specifically when it comes to commercial real estate. And there are more news this week on that to Blackstone just, re just defaulted on a 562 million bond backed by a portfolio of you know, offices in Europe. So 562 million, just to be clear, is a drop in the bucket for the commercial real estate market. But it's Blackstone that really stands out for me. Right. So we're talking about the blue chip companies in these markets are now starting to default. And that sends a signal to the rest of the market. So, how, you know, how, how is how is interest rate markets going to respond to that? Um, how how will these impact sort of the downstream um, uh, sort of investors and their portfolios? 
we're definitely starting to see that. And, and so I would really caution against uh, any negligence uh, in, the, in, this, in this sort of market right now. We should definitely focus more. The mainstream media is not nearly covering enough on corporate defaults and, and commercial real estate. Um, last thing I will mention, though, I think which was interesting, <laughs> Foxconn. I'm not sure if you've talked, if you you know talked about this uh, already with with, uh, with with other folks, but yesterday uh, there's a news headline that Foxconn, which is the everyone knows Apple's largest suppliers and major manufacturers of uh, of iPhone components, announced that they will invest around 700 million US dollars to build a new plant in India. So and this will create 100,000 jobs, this is a massive plant. And there was a report that, you know, Apple is seeking to ramp up production in India to account for 25% of their total output. And this is a very clear shift away from China. And Apple's not alone. They're just the biggest guy, but they're not alone. Everyone's trying to do that. And and over the past five years, I think it's safe to say that India and Vietnam have emerged as sort of front runners in picking over production outputs from China. Um, a lot of this geopolitics, a lot of this is cost, because it's it's clear that that there's a rising cost of labor in China. Um, and how will this shift sort of the dynamics going forward in terms of global power and economic outputs? Um, is is something that everyone should be asking, right? So this is this is to me a pretty major move, and it's it's starting a potentially uh, uh, start of an end for sort of manufacturing, uh, you know, superpower in, in in the world. So, but I think yeah, this is the plan for China, that. right? Like if I was building yeah. China's economy, you start out by doing. Yeah. The manufacturing, you bring in a bunch of capital, you train a workforce, and then you level up to do more white collar. You're generating real IP. They've done all that, and in doing that, yeah, you raise the cost of labor, and you're no longer competitive for the low, the lower cost jobs. That's why we don't do them in America, because we've leveled up, and they're not. It's not affordable here, right? And so, yeah, I think that's going to be the shift to Vietnam, and now India makes total sense from a labor cost perspective what i'm yeah. interested in and that's the natural evolution that to me that's a signal that china's plan is working um what i yeah. look at this though and I'm, I'm curious about is um yeah how much of this is actually geopolitics how much of this is yeah risk just normal economic apple's cycle. hedging against yeah. hey if there's a shutdown or there's something we want to be able to deliver product and or the state department's talking to apple Right. Mm. Th those are more interesting, yeah. more nuanced dimensions. I, I agree. So the one thing I will say about that is so 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 first of all, this is a, for sure a part of a normal economic cycle evolution that 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 China is trying to shift into a more service oriented sort of first world country, if you will. Uh, but what's what's at hand there? There's something that should definitely I want to consider is China. After all, is still a 1.5 billion population country. And when and these these sort of shifts, right? We're talking about hundred thousand jobs at a time from one company. So if these shifts happen in dramatic fashion, like we've seen from Foxconn, this will cause a an unemployment unemployment problem, which leads to instability. 
So there's this, I think I said, internally, I said this very interesting, <laughs> two cows explaining everything. And the, the slide about China, and it's, it's a joke, of course, is, you know, uh, they send 100,000 people to milk two cows and call it full employment. Right. That's sort of the, <laughs> that's sort of what, what, the, what the country's been doing for the past two decades to stimulate the economy. That they, they're trying to find these high uh, labor participation, high intensity manufacturing jobs so that everyone, not just the top 25%, but the rest of the population can increase their quality of life. But when you shift from a blue collar oriented economy to a white collar oriented economy in sort of a couple of years, the amount of unemployment you will have will be dramatic. Absolutely. So that how does China handle that domestically will be the key. And if that leads to instability, which is the number one enemy of the, the Communist Party, um, there will be consequences. So that, that's the one thing I will highlight. Fascinating. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you. And a quick reminder for everyone listening, Chris is an SEC registered RAA and nothing he said should be considered investment advice. All right. This was a new sesh. Very grateful for Kate coming on the show. Um, you know, jumping on a podcast is not in anyone's comfort zone. Uh, I think I'm two and a half years in and it's still weird for me. Uh, what Kate's doing is really cool. The They're really taking a new approach to the accounting tax and CFO business. Just kind of running it the way I as a customer thought it should be run really high quality, making my life easy, filing all my documents away from me, just taking all of the work off my plate as a concept. So anyway, they do a really good job with that. Um, If you have questions on any of the tax stuff, you can hit me up or whatever, and I'll put you in touch with people. But uh, more importantly, I hope everyone got some of those big takeaways, because I think the big thing of the uh, delaying your actual finalized, finally extension, the delay strategy, Every, almost everyone should be doing that. And I think people don't know about it and it just creates a lot of stress. So anyway, I hope this was helpful and we'll catch you next time.